Good morning. How y'all doing? Fantastic. Welcome to week three of Warriors. Uh, we're going to talk one more week about this. Next week, we're going to be looking at the life of King David, and that's what we've been doing. Uh, these past three weeks, we've been specifically talking to the men, but ladies, we've allowed you to kind of listen in a little bit to talk about what is the biblical definition of manhood. What does it really mean to be a man? What does being a man look like? And we talked about that very first week that uh, God calls us all to be a warrior. And the warrior's heart means to reject passivity. Reject passivity. Everybody say that. Reject passivity. That uh, The heart of a warrior, the guy who says, you know what, it can't be done, needs to move out of the way so that the guy who can do it with God's help can make that happen. And that's exactly what we've seen in the life of David. We've seen everybody saying, you know what, nobody can go up against this giant. He's too tall. He's too mean. He's too ugly. And David says, my God and I, I am on God's side. That dude is chump change. And that's what we saw the very first week. Last week, we looked at the heart of a friend. And we talked about that the heart of a friend means that they lock arms together. And they do life with one another. We looked at that whole myth of the Lone Ranger. And we said that is exactly what it is. It is a myth. Because everybody, every guy needs another guy to hang out with. Every, I mean, every pilot needs a wingman. Everybody needs a battle buddy. And David is no different. And we saw that David hooked up with Jonathan and they became friends. And not just friends. I mean, and it wasn't just Jonathan. His name is full Prince Jonathan because his daddy was the king of Israel. His name was King Saul. And King Saul started out good, ended his life not so good. And Jonathan and David became best friends. Best friends. This week, we're going to be looking at the heart of a king. And what we're going to look at is the king accepts responsibility. That the heart of a man is that he is going to accept responsibility. That he's going to do what he says he does. He's going to do what he said he's going to do that you can count on him. Now, last week, we looked at how this kind of played out in David and Jonathan's life when we looked at a verse in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. And this is what it says. Jonathan said, And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, Jonathan says, treat my... What is that next word? Treat my family... With this faithful love, this grace-filled love. Now, that Hebrew word there is the Hebrew word chesed. Y'all thought I'd just hock something up, didn't you? Come on now. I I want us all to say that. Ready? Chesed. Come on now. Chesed. And let me tell you what that word means in the original. It it just means grace. It means it's, it's not something that you get by deserving it. It's something that's given freely. It's not something you can earn. It's something that's given freely. And what Jonathan is saying is this. You know what? You've already showed me this chesed, this grace, this love, this faithful love here. But if I am out of the picture, if I die, if something happens to me, will you, will you share this faithful, just grace-filled love with my family? That's what he's saying. Even when the Lord destroys all of your enemies, Jonathan says. And by the way, what enemies do you think Jonathan is talking about? 
his own dad, because his own dad was trying to kill David. Even when the Lord destroys all of your enemies from the face of the earth. Remember my family with this grace-filled love. Jonathan says to David, something happens to me. Do you have my back? Do you have my family? And David says, I give you my word. Absolutely. I will take care of you and your family. Verse 17. And Jonathan made David reaffirm the vow of his friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. You know, without hesitation, David said, absolutely. Absolutely, I'll take care of your family. Now, let me tell you why that's very, very important. Because in that day and age, that stuff didn't happen. You see, in that day and age, when a king was, when a king's dynasty was over, and that king died, and the new king showed up, you know what the new king did? He killed everybody in the old king's family. You know why? Because that's a threat. And you see, here's what's amazing, is Saul... Saul wanted his own son, Jonathan, to be... He was already the prince. He wanted him to be king. But Jonathan knew something about David's character, that God had already chosen David to be king. And Jonathan willingly said, you know what? I don't want it. I want my best friend, David. He needs to to be the next king because God chose him to be king. God anointed David king. And you know, what's amazingly is even though he was anointed king, he, this, David had to wait for 15 years in order to finally get the kingship. I mean, that's a long time to wait. I mean, it's like if somebody came to you and says, hey, hey can I have a job? Yeah, man, I, I'll make you the vice president of my company. Okay, cool. When's that going to happen? 15 years from now. Excuse me? I got to wait 15 years for that? But David waited 15 years for him to get his promotion. And not only that, of those 15 years, eight of those 15 years, he was on the run from guess who? Jonathan's dad, the king. His name was Saul. Well, after waiting 15 years, David's hopes, David, God's promise to David finally came true. Because in, on one faithful day, King Saul dies and King Saul's son, Jonathan, dies. The enemy of of the Israelites, the Philistines, came and killed Saul and Jonathan. And now that Saul and Jonathan is gone, look how David responds. This says a lot about a guy's character. A lot about a guy's character. 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 12. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for who? For who? Saul. By the way, that's the dude who's been trying to kill him for the past eight years. You see, it says a lot about a man's character by how he treats even his enemies. Because Saul saw David as an enemy, but David never saw King Saul as an enemy. Never. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan because they had died by the sword that day. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. He writes this song, Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother, Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep. Deeper than the love of women. He's saying, you know what? There's something, yes, I can share with some ladies, but... There's something about being in the foxhole with another guy that you know he has his back. There's something about that that you know that that friendship is intact. 
And they were close. They were close. David is sad and he's grieving, not only for the loss of Saul, but especially for the loss of Jonathan, Saul's son. So David is grieving, but you know what? Ultimately, Israel needs a leader. Israel needs a leader, and God has chosen David to be the next king. So you know what David does? He immediately gets to work. First hundred days of his administration, let me tell you some of the stuff that he did. He ended up uh, strengthening the army. Uh, One of the things he also did is he moved the the capital of Israel from Hebron to Jerusalem. And he conquered Jerusalem, this last bastion of this where this enemy stronghold was at. Not only that, under David, Israel just experienced tremendous peace from their enemies. I mean, David is building a fantastic kingdom with God's help. David is building his Camelot. It's like David is King Arthur. And just like King Arthur, David is building his Camelot. And he's forming his round table. But there's one seat that's empty at the round table. And that's because David's Lancelot is dead. Jonathan is gone. And he is at a loss. He is lonely. Some of you know that. And you've experienced loneliness because in, in leadership, there's always a degree of loneliness. Always. David has everything under the sun now. He, he's made his dream come true. God has made his dream come true. And now he has his best friend he can't share, can't share it with. So he misses Jonathan. And out of his loneliness, loneliness we read in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, page 241 out of the One Church Bible. This is what we read. One day... David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness and, look at this, show kindness. It's that, it's that chesed again, that, that faithful love, that I can show kindness or grace for Jonathan's sake. David wants to show Jonathan's descendants grace. Why? Because they deserved it? No. Because of the sake of who? What does it say? For whose sake? Jonathan's sake. That's important. We're going to come back to that. Now, the reason why that's so important and so different, because in that day and age, I mentioned everybody, the new ruler wants to kill the old, the old king's family. Wanted to kill everybody. But David said, no, I made a commitment. I, I gave my word. And a man keeps his word. I'm going to take care of Jonathan's family. So, we find out one of Saul's old attendants, his name is Ziba. Ziba speaks up and says, yeah, there's a guy who's uh, Jonathan's son. His name, and it's a weird name, it's Mephibosheth. All right? And some of y'all are going, did he just sneeze? No, I did not. Mephibosheth. Can we all say that together? Mephibosheth, all right? That name is a really weird name. It has a really cool meaning. And I'm going to get ready to teach you here in a sec. But in Ziba says, Ziba kind of gives a qualification. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. Let's look at it. Ziba replied, yes, one of, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Now listen to what Ziba is really saying. Okay, David, listen. Wait a minute. Time out, bro. I know you made this commitment and everything. But listen, you move from Hebron to Jerusalem and you got all your tapestries and everybody's looking good. And every, I mean, y- I mean, this is the fascism. Everybody's playing the part. You even got your entourage. 
this dude ain't going to work in your entourage. This dude, he's crippled. He's crippled. You know, this dude is deformed. And you need to know back in this day and age, deformity was a really big thing back then. Everybody looked down on people who were deformed because they thought, well, they must have done something bad or their parents must have done something bad. This dude's not going to fit in your court. This dude doesn't fit the surroundings. This dude is high maintenance, David. You don't want to do this, dude. You don't, you don't want to follow through on your commitment, and everybody will understand if you just want to get out of it because he's crippled. I love David's response. David says, is there anybody? And Ziba says, yes, but he's crippled. And you know what David doesn't do? David doesn't say, well, how bad is it? Is it in one foot or isn't it two? David doesn't say, uh, how did it happen? I mean, David doesn't say, well, you know, is he mobile or is he not? David just, David just ignores that whole comment and says, where is he? Where is this guy? Where is he? Because I want to show grace for Jonathan's sake. Where is he? The king asks, verse 4, and the king responds, he is living in low Debar. That's a Hebrew word. The word low means no. And Debar means grass. And what that means is there's no grass, there's no pasture, there's no pasture land where this guy's living. I mean, that's so interesting because this descendant of Jonathan is in a place where there's unimaginable desolation. There is nothing there. It's not pretty. There's no rolling hills. It just looks like gravel and asphalt. He lives in some obscure, barren field, and he's just hiding away. He has no purpose. He's trying to stay off the radar. And you got to remember, since it was the custom for the king to kill the old family, this dude, he's hiding out. He is, he is running for his life, and he is hoping, praying, that King David and King David's men will not find this guy. Nobody knows his old whereabouts except for this guy named Ziba. Now, even though David doesn't ask how he got crippled in both feet, the Bible tells us how he got crippled. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to this. It says, Saul, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard this terrible news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. You see, as soon as this disaster strikes, the nurse, fearing probably for her life and for the life of this son, knowing that the new king is coming, she picks him up, and she starts running with little Phoebe, and she falls down. And because of this fall, Mephibosheth becomes crippled. He's permanently disabled and he's been hiding away ever since. He's hiding away, hoping nobody will find him. He's, he's dreading the day when one day he hears this knock at the door. And every time he hears this knock, who, is, who can it be? Is it the king? Is it the king? Is it the king? Is it the king? And then one fateful day, he hears the, he hears the knock and he looks through the peephole. I don't know if they had peepholes back then. Maybe he looked underneath the door and he sees all of these, these warriors, these guys with this armor, and he starts shaking. And he says, this is it. 
I'm a dead man. They found me. They found me. I mean, I have been hiding out in this place where there's nothing. There's not, I, I'm, I've, just been, I've not been living life. I've just been existing. I've just been running away. And they found me. So he opens the door. And the king's guard, this royal guard, takes Mephibosheth and, and takes him and, and, and probably take, puts him on horse and takes him into Jerusalem and ushered Mephibosheth into the king's presence. And this is where we pick up. By the way, Mephibosheth, he's thinking, this is it. I am a dead man. Verse 5. So David sent for Mephibosheth. Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, I mean, let's think about it. This guy is crippled. He's coming in with his crutches. He's coming, he's hobbling along. How difficult must it have been for Mephibosheth to get on the ground and bow. What was customary in that day to do for a king is you would put your face to the ground. I mean, how difficult must it have been for him to get down on the ground when both of his feet are all messed up? And he's sitting there and he's on the ground and he's just waiting for that sword to come, that cold steel on the back of his neck. And it was just going to end his miserable life. What happens? David says, greetings. Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replies, I am your servant. Mephibosheth is expecting to die. He's expecting for this to be the end. And David says, greetings? Greetings? Where is this coming from? What, what's happening? Verse 7. David says, don't be afraid. Everybody say that. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you what? By the way, that's that same word, chesed, grace, that loyal, filled love. David says, I am going to show kindness to you, grace to you. Why? Because you deserve it? Why? Because you're all that? No, I'm going to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, let's break that down. I'm going to give you all the property that King Saul had, your grandfather. How much property do you think a prior king owned? A whole heap of a lot. So David said, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Your boat just came in. You are now the proud owner of 100,000 acres. I mean, how does, how does something like this happen? This dude's thinking he's going to die. And David says, no, I am going to show you grace. Because I loved your father, Jonathan. Not only am I going to give you what you lost... When you, what your, what your grandfather experienced. But not only that, you are going to eat at the king's table. That's cool. You are going to be part of my family. I am going to adopt you. And every time we eat a meal at our table, you're invited. 
You show up. What's mine is yours. You ain't, when you come in, you ain't got to ask, hey, do you mind if I get some hot wings out of the fridge? You ain't got to do that. Because what, what is mine is yours. You are going to sit at the king's table. And that's our big idea today. I think this is so awesome. Our big idea today that we get from this passage is a godly, man's, a godly man is tenderhearted and takes responsibility for those who are in need. A godly man is tenderhearted and takes responsibility for those in need. King David remembered his promise to his friend, his best friend, Jonathan. He fulfilled his responsibility. He didn't care if people looked down upon him of having this, you know, this guy who was crippled, a part of, of his entourage. He didn't care what people think because a man keeps his word. It doesn't matter what people think about it. A man will keep his word. He will fulfill his responsibility. Verses 8 through 11. Look at this, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? How, how, did, how did Mephibosheth view himself? Like a dead dog. You know, that's not a good view of, of oneself, is it? At all. And yet, amazingly enough, his view of himself, his image that he had of himself, is not how David saw him. We're going to get back to that here in a moment. What is your servant that you should show such kindness? There's that word grace, hesed, to a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, he's going to stay here. He's going to eat at my table. And it says in parentheses, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet. Notice, he's not going to let you forget Mephibosheth's condition. This dude is messed up. And from that time on, Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Wow. I mean, what a beautiful picture of the responsibility that a king has. That a man says, when he says he's going to do what he says he's going to do, he always keeps his word. What a great picture of, of David. But yes, it's a great picture of responsibility, but it's even a better picture of the word we talked about, and that word is grace. What is, what is, what is grace? Well, grace is a gift that you can't earn. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is when somebody does something kind to you when really you've done something bad and you should have something bad done to you. You see, Mephibosheth was given grace. Why? Because Mephibosheth was wonderful and he was awesome? No, he was given grace because he was related to Jonathan, and, and David made a commitment. He gave his word. He fulfilled his responsibility to Jonathan. I mean, picture this, guys. This is so amazing to me. It's supper time in David's kingdom. All right? And I mean, there is a spread fit for a king. 
I mean, all the servants are sitting there waiting and everything is on the table and it's beautiful. It's decked out. There's candles. You know, there's some Yanni playing in the background. You know, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And here comes the king's sons one by one. Amnon comes in. And he's shrewd and he's smart and cunning. And he comes in and one of the king's sons, he sits at the king's table because he is one of the king's sons. And then Joab shows up. And this dude, he's David's general. He's the commander of David's armies. And this dude is buff. And he's got his armor on. and he, I mean, he's got all of the medals he has for Operation Philistines and all of this stuff. And he shows up, and he is a good soldier, and he sits down at the king's table. And then another one of David's sons, Absalom, who's beautiful, gorgeous, he shows up. The Bible describes Absalom, uh, he had long hair. And he shows up, and he sits down at the king's table. And the servants takes out the napkin and puts it and puts it in Absalom's lap. And then one of David's daughters, Tamar, who's beautiful and lovely, lovely, gracefully she comes to the table and she sits down. And she sits down and she's sitting there waiting. And then out of the corner of your eye, you see this little boy show up and he has a ton of books underneath his hand. His name's Solomon. And he just came from checking out a bunch of the books from the library. And he slams the books on the table and he sits down and his feet are kind of dangling because he's still not quite old enough. And then David shows up with the crown and the robe and he comes and he sits down at the king's table. And they're all there. They're all there, but nobody touches their food. Because even though the king's there, even though the king's sons are there, even though the captain of the guard is there, even though David's daughter is there, you hear this in the background. Coming down the hall. And you hear these crutches coming down the hall, echoing. And finally, everybody waiting on Mephibosheth, this cripple puts down his crutches. And he sets himself underneath the table. And one author says it this way, that the king's tablecloth of grace covered his crippled feet. Because that is exactly what happened. He was adopted like a king. Now before we get out of here, I just want to give you a great picture of what Mephibosheth is. Because Mephibosheth, this dude that's hard dude to understand and understand his name, that dude is a picture of me. And that dude, Mephibosheth, is a picture of you. Let me take the next three or four minutes before we close and just talk about how we are like this dude whose name is really hard to pronounce. You see, at one time, Mephibosheth, he had an intimate relationship with his father and his grandfather. At one time, he was royalty. At one time, he lived in the palace and he had this unadulterated, intimate relationship with his father. But then disaster struck. And Mephibosheth suffered a fall that left him crippled for life. He was never, ever the same. Ever the same. And everybody looked down on him because of this deformity. What's amazing enough, here's what the Bible says about you and me. 
He says this about mankind, that before Genesis chapter 3, that we had a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. That before Genesis chapter 3, before sin entered into the world, that we had a perfect relationship, that, we would, that, that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the coolness of the day, holding His hand. But then disaster struck. Because Adam and Eve chose not God's way, but their own way. And they chose something called sin. And they thought, you know what? We don't want God's way. We want to do it our way, which is a great definition of sin. And guess what? That busted up that perfect relationship they had with God. They suffered a fall. And guess what? Ever since then, it ain't been right ever since. Every person who's born, every person and every generation, sin is there. Sin is there and we're crippled because of our sin. Let me give you another wonderful picture, though, of how I see that. David sought after Jonathan's handicapped son. You know, Mephibosheth wasn't looking for David. In fact, he was hiding away from David. But, but David went and sought after Mephibosheth. Why? In order to be mad at him? In order to yell at him? In order to kill him? No, in order to bless him. And let me tell you something. This is so cool. God is seeking after each one of us today. In fact, I just want to say this. If you've not been in church ever, or maybe you've been out of church for years, you need to know this. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. God is not ticked at you. God is not waiting for you to trip up so that he can hurl down some lightning from heaven. And No. God is seeking after you, wanting a relationship with you. Why? Because you're good and you're great and you're perfect? Absolutely not. Because we're jacked up. The Bible says that everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23 says that our result of us sinning is that spiritually we're dead. We don't have a relationship with God anymore, but this is, this, this is awesome. I'm going to finish quoting that verse. For, for, the, for the results of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, David showed grace of, for, for Mephibosheth. Why? Because of Mephibosheth? No, because of his relationship with Jonathan. And God is seeking after a relationship with you and wants to give grace to you, not because of you, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. That Jesus Christ took all of God's anger. In fact, another verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it like this. That Jesus, who knew no sin, who never messed up, and who only had perfection, He became our sin so that we could become the perfection of God. That there's this exchange. And God wants to show you grace today, not because of you've done anything good, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, last thing, David completely accepted Mephibosheth. I think that's cool. Now, you think about this. I mean, I mean David could have said, listen, guy, you're going to sit at my table, but you better be there 20 minutes early because I'm not waiting on you. David could have done that. But he didn't. He accepted Mephibosheth completely. He adopted Mephibosheth like a son. He didn't say, listen, when you're around me, I don't want to see those stumps you call ankles. I want you to cover those things up. 
No, not at all. He completely accepted Mephibosheth. And just like that, God can completely accept you this morning. You see, some of you are like, you know, I feel like, Chris, I got, this, I got to get my act together before I can have a relationship with God. Let me tell you how messed up your thinking is if you think that. Have y'all ever been in a wreck? All right? Have y'all ever been in a wreck and you had to maybe go to the hospital anybody? All right, cool. Thank you. I'm going to talk to you, me and you, all right? When you got in Iraq and you went to the hospital, I mean, before you went to the hospital, you said, you know what? I'm kind of bleeding. I'm a little messed up. Let me go home. I'm going to change. I'm going to get my hair done, right? And I'm going to wash off some, and then I'll show up to the emergency room. Does anybody ever do that? I mean, if I, if I was in Iraq and I had to go to the I said, okay, excuse me. I need to go home, and I need to get clean underwear, all right? Because I, I can't be doing that, right? No, the ER accepts you completely. Completely. They cannot turn you away. And let me tell you something, friends. God will not turn you away because he accepts you completely. You ain't got to get your act together. Jesus got his act together for you so that you don't have to worry about it. Jesus lived a perfect life. And so it's not just about do, do, do. I got to do this. I got to do this better. Do this. Jesus said on the cross, it is done. It is finished. And he accepts you completely because God accepts Jesus Christ. Now, here's how we're going to close this. Some of you today, some of you today, you don't feel like you're accepted by God. You feel like you're 100 miles away. You feel like when you talk and you pray and and all this stuff, you feel like you've got to, you know, keep living on the good foot you got to keep up all the good things. And if once you start going bad, then he's going to reject you. And you need to know if that's the way you view God, then you don't have a relationship with my heavenly father. Because he totally accepts you. So what I'm going to have you and give you the opportunity to do today is this. is for you to begin your relationship with Jesus Christ today. And this is a relationship. This is a journey. This is you taking a first step. This is not all the steps. It's you taking a first step. But today, and I promise you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask people to come walk forward. I'm not going to do any of that. But what I am going to do and what I am going to offer you today is for you to start this relationship with Jesus. And that begins by you talking to him. Relationships always come about by introductions. And I want you to talk to God today. Some of you are going, I don't know what to say, bro. That's okay. I can help you through this. But the best thing, the most important thing you need to do to begin this relationship with Jesus Christ is you have to be sincere. So here's how I want us all to do. I want everybody to, to bow your heads, all right, and close your eyes. All right, nobody looking around, and we're going to bring the lights down. And I just want you to spend some time talking with your Heavenly Father today because He is not mad at you. He wants to show you grace on behalf of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ's sake. Dear God, I pray for each and every one in here today. Lord, so many times we get this thing that you're just angry at us and you're mad at us, God. And Lord, before Jesus Christ came, Lord, somebody had to pay that price for sin. And I praise God that he did that. But Lord, today, 
There's some people in here that they just don't feel like they have a relationship with God. They've been going through the motions. They've been, they've been, going, they've been thinking, you know what, maybe I just need to go to church more. I need to give more. I need to do more things. And it's not about us doing anything. It's about what you've already done for us, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray for those. Some of those, there's some people out here I know because I read their emails. They're just like, I don't, I'm not sure I have a relationship with God. I'm just not sure. The Bible says clearly that we can know that we have a relationship with you, Jesus Christ. We can know. Just like Mephibosheth knew that he was adopted as a son. That he could come at any time and sit at that table. Lord, you want us to know that we are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. So, Lord, I pray for those right now who need to begin that relationship, that they would talk to you, pray a prayer like I'm getting ready to pray right now, just silently to themselves. That they would say something like this, Dear Jesus, Lord, I know that I am a sinner I know that I am many times, I'm wrong. And Lord, because I know this, God, I, I, I know that my relationship with you is not where it needs to be. There's just, there's, there's just a huge gap there, God, that I, that I can't fix it. I can't do anything, God. There's, I, I can't say enough prayers. I can't rub enough beads. I can't, I can't get baptized enough. I can't do anything to make it right with you. And the reason why, God, I can't is because you have already made it right with me. You sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Thank you, God. Still praying. Thank you, God. And God, I pray that... He, Jesus would come into my heart, into my life, and he would make everything in my life new. New. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.